The Meet for TCAS is brought to you in part by SoneLab, a recording studio in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Offering recording, mixing, and mastering of all styles of music, we even master podcasts. Email info at sonelab.com for more information. That's info at sonelab.com. That's the record button. Have we started? We have started. So, this is the Meet for TCAST. You might always start like that. Who knows? I'm Elizabeth McDuffie, founding editor of Meet for Tea, The Valley Review, and this is... I'm Mark Allen Miller, sidekick and uh, co-conspirator in Meet for Tea. Yeah, and I'm graphic designer and web guy and um, the hats. host of the Cirques and a whole bunch of stuff. The hats, there are many. Hello and welcome back to the Meet for Tea cast. Thanks for joining us for season three, episode 23. We have a great episode coming up, but before we get into it... Mm-hmm. We got something we want to talk about. Got to talk to you about some stuff. As you probably all know, on Friday, June 24th, SCOTUS did the unthinkable <laughs> and overturned... Row. I mean, I suppose we saw the writing on the wall when there was the leak. There was some pretty ample foreshadowing, but I'm sure I wasn't alone in holding out hope that they wouldn't um, perjure themselves, for oh. one thing. Yeah, yeah there's that. <sighs> so... What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? What can you do? Yeah, there's things we, we can do. We don't need to be feeling hopeless and upset. Keeping local clinics and local access to abortion up and running is the most helpful thing you can do. And I'm going to give you a couple of URLs, and these will also be in our show notes. But there's abortioncarenetwork.org, keepourclinics.org, and the National Network of Abortion Funds, nnaf.org forward slash give to local funds. Those go directly to local abortion clinics near you. Yeah, very good thing to do. So you can do something proactive in your area. Another thing you can do is um, join me in normalizing and destigmatizing discussion about abortion. Abortion is fundamental health care for women, I have had two abortions. Despite using birth control, I found myself pregnant when my eldest child, my son John, was 11 months old. There is no feasible way for that to work. And I found myself pregnant again when my middle child, Madeline, was four. And without those two abortions, I would have been a mother of five by the age of 30. Bear in mind, again, this is using birth control. Unusual fertility. Why am I telling you this? Go ahead and call in a voice memo. Tell us about your abortion. Yeah. We'll play it on the Meat for Tea cast. Let's, let's make this discussion not one of shame. Yeah, definitely. I'm proud that my children... Yeah. 
You have three great kids. Three great kids. And if I had those two who were just bare clumps of cells when I did have the abortions, because luckily I discovered them early and was only six weeks in. So hell, even Texas probably would have let me get that abortion. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, For now, maybe. Yeah, so please, uh, you can just go to the show notes and find those URLs and find one that appeals to you and donate to a local health clinic. And tell us about your abortion. Yeah. You can do that through meetfortea uh, at gmail.com. Just record a voice memo and email it over to us. And Play them on the podcast. I'd like to get the conversation open. And it's not a thing to celebrate but it's also not a thing to hide. No, exactly. Nobody nobody wants to do that, but there are plenty of reasons why people Actually, I really to. did want to, and John was only 11 months old and I was pregnant. I actually did. But the reason being, I'm going to assume, is that you also needed to. Yeah. Exactly. There's no way I would have been able to care for the other baby with already a baby. Precisely. That's the kind of conversation that we need to be having in this country and in the world about all of the myriad reasons why Abortion is healthcare, and women's bodies are their own to decide what to do with. End Damn of story. Straight. End of story. Full stop. And yes, I'm male, so I will never be in this position. But I have known so many women who've had abortions, and they've all had very good reasons to do so. And honestly, they're better off for it. And that's not even for me to judge. But honestly, that's my observation. So, anyway, that's that. Now, we can move on to, um, you know, some more exciting stuff, like our guest for this episode. Well, more fun stuff. I think what the Supreme Court did is exciting indeed, not in the fun way, yeah, kind of uh, in the, like, watching a horror movie way. That's true. There's no lack of excitement. <laughs> anyway, we have coming up for you a delightful conversation with... Patrick Scott. He'll be talking about the first book in his Loci of Power series, Unburied. This is cycle one of the series, which is going to be of several books. And he will talk about the characters, talk about the book itself. The book is out and available from Atmosphere Press. I am more than halfway through it, and I'm very much enjoying reading this gripping story and getting to know his very well fleshed out female characters. They're so dimensional. They all have their individual personalities. And these are strong, young, college-age women written by a man who it's clear, you can tell by the way he depicts these characters, really respects women. And that, that's fun to read, too. Yeah. So he also will treat us to a reading of a short story he had published long, long, long ago, I believe in the Locust Blossom issue of Meat for Tea. And if you'd like to read a current story by him, he is one in our most recent issue in the Mugwort issue, a delightful piece of flash fiction. I have to thank a sponsor. Yes, that's right. Very generous 
partner to Meet for Tea. We really appreciate them very much because it's through ad support that we stay in print. So without further ado, let me tell you about Sucre Bay. Sucre Bay is perfume made by weirdos like you. And they're a cruelty-free, women-owned indie perfume and body products company. Love making people smell good. Each scent is crafted by hand in their Washington State lab located in the woods. And honestly, I don't know where else you can find fragrances with names like Sea Hag, Don't Panic, Siren Song, Goth as Fuck. Those are just a few of their bestsellers. So great. They have all sorts of other things to bath care products. And also they they partner with a lot of interesting people, including our friend Sarah McCartney of 4160 Tuesdays. Sucre Bay is one of the few places in the States you can get yourself some 4160 Tuesdays fragrances. Yes. So head on over to sucrebay.com. Check out their wares. And we thank them Check for... Check the show notes for the proper spelling. Mm-hmm. And thank you very, very much. Or I do it on Super mic Bay. now? Oh, yeah. You know what? How's it spelled? Yeah. So if you just go to S-U-C-R-E-A-B-E-I-L-L-E.com, that'll get you there. Yeah. We really appreciate their support. Thank you so much, Sucre Bay. Thank you so much, Sucre Bay. We love you. And of course, that can lead us to how you can help support us. You can go to meetfortea.com forward slash buy.htm. Buy the magazine. And buy you the can magazine. Get a PDF for five bucks. Mm-hmm. What can you get for five bucks these days? Depending on where you go, barely a cup of coffee. Not almost 140 pages worth of literature and art. Yeah. That's for sure. You can also find our Teespring store with the t shirt icon located on every page of the website. There's also a donate page if you just want to you know, donate. And we have a Patreon, Patreon. We're going to bring you more Patreon episodes too. Yeah. We are, Mark is diligently working on the last Cirque to get that Patreon ready. Yep. So you can go to Patreon. There's a few different tiers to sign up to get different levels of bonuses, but either one of them will be greatly appreciated. And that's the Meat for Tea page on Patreon. I think you can just do a search for it. Pretty straightforward. Back to our spring store. There's so much there. We just added some new styles of t-shirts, ladies t-shirts. I have one coming to me soon that I ordered. I can't wait to see it. We have socks. We have pint glasses. We have mugs. Water bottles. Tote bags. Yeah. Um, geez. Probably other things too. But yeah, shirts. Glassware, drinkware, tote bags. Yeah, lots of stuff. So much stuff. With a bunch of different logos on them. So you can pick and choose kind of what logo you might want. Another piece of news, because I know a lot of our listeners are also writers. We are currently accepting submissions for the Dahlia issue of Meat for Tea due for release September 10th. September 10th. I believe September 10th. So that's... Also on the website, you, you're going to find everything you need on our website. Everything, it, it won't cook you dinner, <laughs> but you'll find just about everything else. So meetfortea.com forward slash submit .htm. Please, 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 please read the submission guidelines before just hopping on over to Duotrope and sending whatever you're sending in just to make sure you're 
If it's art, make sure it's high enough resolution so you're reflected well. Yep. yep. And please, a third-person bio with every submission. Please. Short. Short. Well, Short. I, think, I think there's a maximum of a couple hundred words yes. on the Duosuma submission manager anyway. But, I've received uh, some novels. Yeah. And it's fine. You know, you got a lot of interesting stuff you want to talk about, but we don't really have the space to print it. <laughs> so... Yeah, and we don't need we your whole CV. Yeah. We're not hiring. Give us, give us, the, <laughs> <laughs> right. Give us the cliff, cliff's notes. Give us the, uh, the, the highlight reel. And we will be very happy to include that in our submission notes. If we publish your work, please tell your friends, family members and everything about the meat for tea cast, spread the word around. And you know, it's been a long time since we've seen a review. Sure. would love if you'd pop on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review with some writing. Maybe in that writing, you can tell us about your abortion, if you had one, mm. since we're opening that, yeah, that well, I suppose, yeah, topic right. for conversation. <laughs> or tell us what, you know, your favorite recipe. Be happy to, happy to read about that, too. But regardless, shoot us out a review, and uh, we'll probably read it here on the Me for Teacast. Tell us the best secret swimming, swimming places near Holyoke, Mass. Mm. There's a good one. Asking yeah. for a friend. <laughs> so that's pretty good. I think we should tuck in uh, into your conversation with Patrick. What do you think? Yeah, it was a good one. All right. So here is Elizabeth having a great chat with Patrick Scott. Patrick Scott. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi. So nice of you to join us. I guess I'll formally so nice introduce you. So nice to be invited. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm 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 thrilled, and I've been very much enjoying reading Unburied. Thrilled to be publishing a new work of yours. I'll formally introduce you. We are thrilled to have Patrick Scott, author of several pieces of writing that have at least two that have been in Meat for Tea, the Valley Review, and a new book, Unburied, which is the first in a series. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the book right now. <laughs> and that's the, the, the loci, of, lo, loci of Power series. Right. Is it loci or loci? loci. I call it loci. Loci or loci. loci. But I, call, I say loci, but that's just, that's just my funny way of pronouncing it. No, I don't think it is funny. Actually, I think it's right. Because I was thinking, if, you know, the locus... Mm-hmm. So the plural would be loci. Mm-hmm. That's exactly where it comes from. Yep, that's what I was thinking. This is from Atmosphere Press, a publisher of which reached out to me and was like, hey, Patrick Scott's got a new book. Why don't you have him on your podcast? <laughs> and I was thrilled. And I was glad they did. I, I love your podcast and I love the, the work you guys do. I think it's... Uh, I think it's really, really important. So it's, I'm, I'm honored to be here and honored to get an opportunity to talk with you. Ah, oh, well, the honor is ours. And it was fun to get the email from your publisher. It's always fun to be like, to have evidence that your listening audience is growing. Like, ooh, more people know about the Meat for Tea cast. Mm-hmm. Good, good. So you've been listening. Yes, yes, I have. I've, um, I, I, I think the thing that I like the most about the podcast is the 
um, the way that you are able to to draw out, um, you know, your your authors and talk about, you know, writing both from a, a standpoint of like how it impacts, you know, the artist, but also you know the community of readers. I think that's that that's one of the things I think is is really really interesting and and. It, it does my heart good as a writer. You know, we, we feel like a lot of times we're out here just, um, you know, we're, we're creating the stories and we know that some people will read them, but to, then to, to get to see and, and to experience that on the other side is, is really, really powerful. So. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you feel that way. I'm so glad it comes across that way. Cause that's, that's my goal is just to, get my guests, be they authors, be they writers, be they artists. I talk to people mm-hmm. in all those categories, even some local business owners that um, have been regular advertisers in Meet for Tea. We had a fun episode with Jean-Pierre Pasha, who runs um, Big Red Frame and a Lucy Gallery, and Vincent Corsello of Corsello's Butcheria, and they were involved in a coalition of local businesses called the Purple Flame, which worked to independently raise a bunch of money, um, which I also was able to benefit from during the mm-hmm. early stages of the pandemic. Wow. Yeah. And the cool thing about that conversation is we had a vegetarian, Jean-Pierre Pasha, and a butcher, Vincent Corsello, in conversation See that that's that's what I feel like you guys do. Probably one of the things I think is great about the the work that you you do, both um, artistically and out in the community, is that you bridge that gap. You you make the space uh, for conversation because in this day and age, uh, so many people are. Um, so focused on what it is that they either want to say or want to, and don't spend as much time or space to listen. And that's, um, that's, that's really, really great. Yeah. I think we've reached a period in time when more and more people have their heels dug in and their backs up, so to speak, and have just like moved to sort of unbudging polarities. I agree. I agree very strongly. Whatever their positions are. Yeah. Right? And it's just so nice to establish some common ground. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing I think that has has been, you know, for the for the opportunities that I've seen, you know, through various, you know, community groups and through um you know, social media and stuff like that for as much as people, you know, have said, you know, extolled those as like opportunities for, for, you know, dialogue and conversation, even in those environments, sometimes, depending on what it is or what you're talking about, people, you know, people have a, people struggle with that. People struggle with that, being able to have a conversation with somebody and realize that, Hey, it's it's okay. Like we don't have to. We weren't designed to be automatons. We're not supposed to think identically, you know, about every single little thing. And so, being able to listen to somebody, and and that's one of the great things about art and and music and you know writing and all of it is that it puts you in a different place. It allows you to see things from a different point of view. And um, I think you 
Yeah, and I know this is sounding sounding more and more like a hey, you you guys are doing fantastic work, but you are doing, <laughs> you know, you are doing fantastic things and, and a great job, and I, I really appreciate that, um, both as a both as an artist and as a person. So thank you. Ah, oh, well, thank you for all of that. It's it's um it's been a real blessing, especially you know right now when America's hottest reality TV show, and by that I mean the January 6th hearings, is happening. And just so much upheaval. When I, when I have to work on a new issue and have to descend into a rabbit hole of reading an artwork, ah, oh, what a respite. <laughs> what mm-hmm. an escape. Just going to go down and just read a bunch of poetry and look at a bunch of artwork and decide what What's going to go in the next issue? Yeah, that that sounds like a that sounds like a joy. <laughs> it it it's a relief <laughs> these days. <laughs> so where shall we start? Do you want to tell me about Unburied? And I have to um, start off by saying I I really like what you've done with these young women with these characters and. Just they're they're relatable, they're believable, they're strong young ladies. Well, thank you, thank you very they're much. They're not, yeah, they're not romanticized in some weird way. They have their individual personalities, and you quickly learn how they operate and who they are. But every single one is a strong young woman. Yeah, it was funny because um, Unburied came about. I enjoy telling this story because it's one of those aspects of creation that is unexpected. I I had my first book coming out in the midst of we had we had just entered the pandemic. It came out in September of 2020, and it was a middle grade coming of age novel with a with once again with a female protagonist who was. Like middle, like middle school age, but it was a, a fantasy setting. And, and um, as I was getting that already, I, I, what I tend to do is I, I have a process where you know I'm usually editing or prepping one thing, and I'm writing something completely different. I'll, I'll dip into a lot of different styles and genres and everything because that's the fun part to me. It's like you know why should, why should I have to color in the lines all the time? I've got the opportunity to kind of jump where I want. And so I started writing Unburied and Faye just dropped out in the like fully, I want to say fully formed, but I didn't know her well enough to know just how fully formed she was. And then as I started placing people in orbit of uh, Faye, I realized how Faye as a character, as a person, she gravitated towards those with very, very uh, distinct and strong personalities and and mm-hmm. things about them that set them apart. And slowly over time, as the, the book blossomed. I got maybe a little bit over a quarter to uh, in between a quarter to halfway in and I realized, oh, this isn't even just like like I thought it was maybe face story. In fact, for the longest time it wasn't even titled Unburied, it was just titled Face Book. And um uh-huh. and eventually became Unburied, but 
then I realized, oh no, this is not just her story. This is the story of of all four of these young ladies in the book. And so that changed the trajectory of how things were gonna were going to play out eventually. Because what went from being a hyper kind of a hyper focused uh, narrative about Faye blossomed into planting seeds for all the other characters to have uh, equally full related arcs, although not in you know not in Facebook specifically, but in their own narratives. So, I'm I'm so glad to get that background. That's fascinating. And Faye is how old is Faye and her friends? Are they nineteen? They are. Um, they are in their their. To around, they're juniors in uh, college, so they are so twenty one. Um, they're old 21. enough. To, well, yeah, she goes to a bar. Yes, but depending on the bar, you you could be nineteen. <laughs> yes, and and yes, I remember the bad old days when I was underage. When if you were cute, the bars would actually encourage you to come in and drink <laughs> underage, and provide some um, eye candy for the patrons, which is disgusting. Wow. But um, there are yes. some revelations about the 80s in there, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I And I like how you also, um, oftentimes you'll see a novel where there's a hub of central characters who are enfleshed and dimensional. And then what will happen is that more peripheral characters are allowed to be stock and the writer will feel comfortable putting less energy into them. But I very much enjoyed meeting Anya at the coffee shop and she's fascinating. I, I'm I've I've made it all the way to chapter ten now, so I've been I've been plugging away. I've been <laughs> reading away and it's been fun. But she just grabs you right from the beginning. And then Hannibal Yeah. Yeah he is Yeah, go on. Tell yeah, me I more. was just gonna say, like that relation, th- that whole dynamic. When I, I wanted to place somebody in Faye's story that was that presented for her something she wasn't even looking for, because so much of in Faye's story, you know, uh, throughout the course of the book, you 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 will learn that you know she's learned a specific set of skills and she's done you know done things that have uh, caused her to, you know, be more guarded and be more careful with her life. So when she gets confronted with somebody like Hannibal and like uh, Anya, they shake her in a way that is that is positive. It is, um, I think, so often we we come across people and it may only be for a moment or for a season or for you know a much longer period where they present to us a, a different way of looking at our own lives and i think you know i, I think Faye Faye needed that little jolt it 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 kind of knocked her it knocked her loose a little bit in a in a good way you know because of what happens with, with the the adventure aspect with Hannibal makes her uh, reevaluate kind of the things she's learned and the thing, the way she, the way she interacts with the world and and how how that could be different if she was a different person or had a different uh, outlook. Yeah, and I I, I want to be timid about I guess giving spoilers because I, I want to encourage mm. 
my listeners to read, but obviously, you know, at the end of chapter nine, I get a big revelation of Faye's, speaking of things that she has done, mm-hmm. she's done some some hard things. Yeah. And I guess I won't lay that one out too clearly. She's an expert lock picker. Mm-hmm. And she knows yeah. how to kick a door down. <laughs> she, uh, to, to borrow a phrase from a very popular movie, she's got a very specific set of skills and is uh, <laughs> is not shy about... Uh, about utilizing them when and where she needs to. But yeah, she's, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I appreciate you doing that because it's there, the, as is the way with most stories, things escalate. So you get to, like, when you meet her, she, that initial meeting is like, you, you kind of come across, she comes across as very, very hard. And there's a reason for that. And as and, and slowly over time, you learn, oh, she, she knows some things. She's seen some things. Uh, and She's so, yeah, been through some shit. Yes, she has. That is very <laughs> accurate. Some serious shit. Yeah. Well, and see, and that, and that to me is the beauty of somebody like Hannibal, because Hannibal, you know, we find out later on some things about Hannibal, and you realize how he is faced. You know, because we've all let's let's face it. You know, every part of the reason that you can write about struggle and things like that is because we all have it. You know, it, there mm-hmm. there are no real degrees. We all face resistance and struggle and and things that we have to we have to overcome or we have to we have to accept and that sort of stuff. So you know, it, whether and it, depending on the type of person you are is how you kind of enter into that. I I know you probably hear this. You probably hear this a ton, but both you know in the podcast and then probably from the other authors that you talk to. I just I have such a deep, deep love and affection for these for all these characters, like because they all they all face and struggle so much, and um, and that's what that's what makes it interesting to me. No, and you know some things bear repeating. So whether or not other authors have expressed similar sentiments is neither here nor there. Because some things are just said often and frequently because they're just abundantly true. Mm-hmm. Which this is. I also very much appreciated that I'm I'm learning about these women, these the central characters. Uh-huh. by their interests and their abilities. And there's there's not a lot of time spent, and some people fall into this, of giving me a whole lot of it. Like, I don't, I don't really care how pretty Faye is or any of that. And there's not a lot of time. It's more like building up the inner characters uh-huh. of these people. And I, I really appreciated that too. It's not like, oh, here's these, you know, hot co-eds on an adventure. <laughs> There's none of that. Yeah, I think um, part of that stems from the fact that, you know, I, I for, for me, they are, the, the, the interest um, that they present and in turn, the internal beauty that they present is you know, born more out of the fact of 
who they are, how they interact with one another, and and, and all of that stuff. And and the book, the book itself is is dedicated to both my wife and daughter. I saw that. You know, and and one of the, in fact, you know, my um, my my daughter was the was Kay, and um, she had the opportunity to be friends with a wide variety of of young ladies and was we were fortunately the the family that uh they loved to come over to our house and spend time with us so we got to see them and experience them and i realized at pretty at an early state at an early stage i was like going what makes these uh these uh, young ladies and and people, these people so wonderful and fascinating, is because of their love for my daughter, but then in turn, you know, their love for one another, and they were they they bore a tight bond, and in fact, they're they're mentioned in the acknowledgments uh, as the as the gaggle of goons because that's what they go <laughs> by, and um, you know that, but that how fun, I, you know, one of the things I really really wanted to do is like I, listen. I, I, I don't think it'll come as any shock that to me, everybody in the book is is beautiful in their own way. Like whether they are that comes through, you know. And so, like to, I, it feels redundant in some ways for me to say, yeah, you know, they're they're beautiful. That doesn't mean that they are, you know. That doesn't mean that attractiveness or or whatever, like all that that other piece of it. Like I think. Especially nowadays, it's so easy to get kind of locked into that. Here is what the physical appearance of somebody is, and mm-hmm. that's where their beauty lies. And that's that to me is so short sighted. That and that's just my, my once again my opinion. I think everybody is beautiful in their own way, and so just I just try to. I, that's what that's one of the things I tried to embrace is that in my heart they're all beautiful. Therefore, we're just going to write them as they're all, you know, to to each other and to to the world they are that's what they are so without making it you know overly like you, like you said for hot coeds <laughs> like that felt like very reductive and i was like going i don't that's that's not that's no fun for me to write where's the fun in that yeah and where's the fun for well especially your, your women readers who are really uh-huh. tired of being presented with a parade of one hottie after another also, just from a reader's perspective, it's so much more fun to be given the characteristic and the ways of thinking and the skills and talents, but not so much physical data. So in your mind's eye, as you're reading along, you can enflesh the characters and you can imbue them with whatever physical characteristics you, the reader, picture as you're reading along, and that's just so much more fun. Well, isn't that what we did when we were like when we were kids and we were learning to read? And you know, you yeah. had your favorite book, and you would you would picture what those characters look like and did. And so, anytime they made a movie or something, it was it was never it was never the movie I carried <laughs> in my head. So, you know, it just um, always a little disappointing, right? It's like exactly, yes, very much so. So yeah, I I'm glad to hear you say that because I think um, I think my temptation as a writer is I I walk that balance between wanting to make sure that I've got enough 
I've got enough on the bones so that people know exactly kind of roughly what somebody, you know, to, to be able to differentiate. Like, I, I don't ever want anybody to go, now, which one had the, had the short, dark hair? Uh, was that Cho or was that Ari or was that, you know, who was that? And, um, and, and but, but by the same token, I don't ever want it to be like, oh, you know, that's, that's what they are. Like th- their physical description is all they are. So hearing you say that and hearing you say that you enjoyed, you, you enjoy that process, that creative, because I believe the readers have a, they carry a, you guys carry a lot of water. Like that is a heavy, heavy task to take what I have put down in words and recreate that in your own heart and mind. Like that's, that's super hard. And, and I, um, I, I respect that so much. It shows. Well, yeah, that, that what, what the reader brings to the page, that whole um, transaction between author, text, and reader, that triangle yeah. means a lot. And to, to, for the reader to be given space to interact with the author, in a manner of speaking, interact with the text and bring their own perceptions and experience to it that that's 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 what makes it worthwhile mm-hmm. there's some fancy theoretical language for that that i could <laughs> pull out <laughs> but um i had i had a recent guest be like oh i listened to some previous episodes and you sounded so academic. I'm like, well, I did do some PhD studies in writing and the teaching of writing, so maybe, maybe some of that came out here and there. But but there is an interaction. The readers readers need to be given that space, and if you close in all the gaps and mortar in all the chinks, and there's no place for them to enter in with their own imaginations, their own experiences, then mm-hmm. it takes away from the whole experience. Just the title alone, even unburied. I mean, there's a literal Faye finding what she does and digging it up. But then there's the whole metaphor of unburied, obviously, that's carried throughout the text as Faye is just, at least as far as I am now, I'm about halfway through, Mm -hmm. is unburying aspects of herself and her past and her relationships you can let me know if I'm completely coming off. Um, no, no, that's, you know, the book itself, you know, one of the things that I realized as I was working through it is like there, there, there are layers to it. Like there is, there are the things that we, and, you know, there is a difference um, from a, uh, psychological and emotional standpoint, where you you accept something and release it. Like there is there is that like oh you know this this happened and I've grieved it and I'm going to release it. I, I will let me give a uh, let me give a, a tragic uh, real world example. Uh, about two or three weeks ago now, we lost my daughter's cat unexpectedly. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 13 years outdoor cat. The birds and uh, small mammals in the neighbor in the backyard uh, probably threw a, a wake and a, a party for for a the party. loss of 
loss of uh, loss of Paisley, but um, an Irish wake, so to speak. <laughs> yes, there was, there was probably a great deal of nectar and and uh, other things consumed, and and great a great deal of joy had. But um, we were obviously we we lamented the loss of a Paisley, and um, you know one of the things that I I kind of had to deal with is we we had a bit of a of an unknown as to like what happened with Paisley. And, you know, to watch how all three of us kind of wrestled with that unknown and, and addressed it. And then like we like I, I finally had to get to the point where I was like going, you know, we had him for 13 years. We had good days and bad days with him. Uh, he is the inspiration of one of the big beasts in Big Beasts. Uh, I did tell I joked with my daughter saying, well, this is a pretty cheeky way to get uh, to get to get in the uh, dedication for the sequel to Big Beast, but uh, (laughs) I'll be happy to do it. But, um, and we laughed about it, but at the same time, I I realized I had to let it go. Now, alternative would be to like hang on to that and to nurse that, uh, that loss and never address it or to cover it over and pretend it doesn't, it didn't happen. Mm. And when you bury things like that, it only it comes it comes up later. I mean, the soil gets gets mushy, and you wind up sinking down in it. You you may think you you can you can pile a bunch of stuff on top of it. You can put some rocks on it, but eventually you're going to sink into it. And and that's kind of like that's kind of the the story of Faye is that you know she faced some things, she went through some stuff, she dealt with some stuff, or thought she dealt with some stuff, and now she, now it's coming it's coming home to roost. So you're exactly Elizabeth, you're exactly right in saying that you know. She's been through some stuff. She's learned some stuff, but now she's having to kind of figure all that out and unbury it so that it can get some air so that she can figure out who she's supposed to be. Great. Yeah, I keep waiting for... The the, the opening led me to expect something of the supernatural to come up. So we'll see. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, there's hints at that, but it doesn't... Mm -hmm. It's not explicitly going there. Well... I will, I will, Not yet. I will make a confession mm-hmm. because I feel like it's important that you know this as a reader and also your listeners know this if they pick up the book. This is a very, very big world. And this is a very, very long... My intent is that um, the cover of the book states that it's the Loci of Power series and this is cycle one. And it is supposed to be... It has been uh, pitched and sold as three, four book cycles. Wow. So a dozen books in total. A dozen books in total. Cool. So all that to say, like my, my approach to a lot of this stuff is it will show up, but I am not the kind of uh, author who is going to explicitly state like, this is what, you know, like it is going to appear and, but it's going to appear for, I, I hate to say it like this, but a little bit more naturalistically, because the name of the series also ties into kind of my view on how the magic uh, or the supernatural works in this in in this story. It's that I'm sure you know you and your listeners may probably have heard of the um, internal locus of control, and that's part of mm-hmm. where this um, 
this idea came from because I, I got super fascinated with that and kind of dug into that. And I was like going, this is so cool. This is like, you know, because it, it affects your, your worldview and how you kind of like interact with things. Like if you believe you have a strong internal locus of control, it, it causes you to behave in a certain way and, and address things in a certain way. And so, you know, and then I thought to myself, well, what if it just wasn't control? What if it was other stuff? Like, what if there were other lo- locus, oh, locus of things? And what would that look like? And so, you know, that's, so it's not like, just like your internal locus of control, you know, whether it's internal or external, you, you don't, you don't necessarily think about that day to day or you don't access that on a regular basis. Same thing with these, with these sorts of things. You, they will, the, the, they will brush up against it, will kind of figure out more about it, and that sort of thing. And and that that's kind of the the way it's so so the ripples of that are going to you know impact throughout the whole first series for Faye and of the first cycle, and then same thing for uh, for the other characters in the book, and then as they you know as it expands, it expands to a much wider world. So yeah. Oh, I'm so fascinated. Now you've just got me hoping that Netflix reaches out because <laughs> this is a series I would watch, Patrick. Aww. I'm telling you. Well, thank you. This is definitely a series I would watch. I think it would. Yes. So Netflix people, if you're listening to the Meat for Tea cast, which maybe, yeah, there's there's my hot tip to you. Get in on this. <laughs> On the ground floor, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have been talking about Unburied for over half an hour. Do you want to read a tidbit? Yeah, I would. I, I would. Um, I would love that. Because I think, like, the opening of the book is um, is really, really... Um, it's the sort of thing where I think it tells you a lot about the... Um, about Faye. Uh, and then also kind of touches on that um, that bit of uh, kind of supernatural. So let's see. What I'm probably going to do is I'm I'm going to read and then um, I'm going to read and then jump. Sure. All right. <clears throat> Chapter one: Light and voice. With the music thrumming. Faye slammed into the big, blocky, clean-cut lineman thrashing to the proto-punk band set up in the corner. She felt the satisfying impact against against his muscled chest and shoulders, jarring her whole body. She snarled something at him as he looked down at her with a frown on his face. Faye noticed he returned to dancing with the slip of a girl on the other side of him. Yeah, you'll be sad she's with you tonight. She did not wait for a reply. Faye stomped towards the front of the old two-story off-campus house. She lowered her own shoulder, making sure enough of those happy college students felt a little discomfort. She reveled at the cries of outraged couples and unflattering comments about her being crazy. Looking at her empty cup, Faye threw it to the floor, pulled out her flask, and took a slug of some cheap whiskey sloshing from the cool metal container. She stepped outside, watching her breath fogging in the air as the last hold of winter punished her for coming outside. She reached for her phone inside her black leather jacket she wore. She flipped her jet black hair hanging in her eyes. 
They checked her messages, hoping her roommates had reached out to her, saying they were on their way. I guess I'm getting myself home again, she muttered to herself. I can't believe it's still cold here. I'd be burning up right now if I was still out west. She hit the campus app for a ride, waited on the corner by the house. She swayed to the now distant driving beat. They ended up leaning against a street sign, gathering saliva in her mouth and spat. Safe ride, a voice asked. What? Are you waiting for safe ride? They looked at the fresh-faced kid with his bright blue eyes. She fixed him with her dark eyes, wondering if she should tell him that she wanted someone else. Eventually, Faye decided she wanted to be home more than to make this freshman's life hell. Yeah, I'm waiting for it. You're it, I'm guessing. She laughed at what she thought had to be a hilarious joke. Where are you parked? I'm right here, the young guy said, opening the door. Here, let me help you. You some kind of creep or something? Aren't there supposed to be girls driving girls? She got in an accident. If you want, I can shut up, Faye snapped, rubbing the knife in her pocket. If you turn out to be a big problem, I'll cut you like I threatened to do the last one. Faye had to stifle the laugh and look at the shock of fear on the boy's face. She landed in the passenger seat, leaning against the window once the door thudded shut. She felt grateful for the cool glass. You need to buckle up. Shut up. I can't drive if you I said shut the fuck up. They closed her eyes, waiting for the car to carry her home. So now we're going to jump to when Faye comes home, she uh, hears something and uh, follows it out her back door. Following the melodic cry, Faye walked to the back door, flicking the lock and opening it wide. Her skin tingled in the cool breeze washing over her. Faye, an airy voice called as though carried on the wind. Creepy, she slurred. We're here for you to help. Nope, I'm going to bed. I promised my roommates not to get into any more trouble. Hearing the wind and what had been a strident animalistic cry morph in her ears to night song, Faye tilted her head and stared into the dense stand of trees backed up to the little tamed slice of civilization. She frowned, wondering if the trees had always been so tightly packed, or was it possibly a trick of the night? She concentrated on the singing, trying to see if she could make out the words she heard. She strained and eventually gave up, confident there were no real words. Or maybe she had not been as diligent as she thought she had about what she drank. Who are you, she called in a hoarse whisper. What do you want? She stepped off the concrete patio and moved through the lawn. At the edge of the woods, drawn by an indefinable force, they pushed the branches aside. Her unsteady foot came down on a rock or root. They fought to maintain her balance. Without thinking, her hand strayed to her pocket, holding the black-handled buck knife she always carried. Since her fixed blade knives, the ones with sheaths, called too much attention to themselves, they resisted the urge to pull, flip, and lock the blade. She felt safe knowing she could get at it fast if necessary. Who are you? She said a little louder. The soft voice continued its undulations. It grew in pitch, giving the appearance of being louder. It was like a pipe or a flute, swirling notes up and down, scale in a haunting, beautiful way. 
She rested her mind on the tune, hoping she might get some sort of insight. When the notes repeated in a run, she hummed along with the tune. She could not deny a rightness to the sound, despite her rendition being slightly off-key from the original. Faye had never been much of a singer, but she thought her drunkenness could be partially to blame. She continued to walk. She thought she caught the glimpse of a light floating between the trees. She tried her best to source the glow. Faye noted a gleam as too muted from the moon, but with a purity seeming impossible for something man-made. She also could not think of a reason someone would put a layout here in the woods to begin with. And then we're going to jump to when she has a conversation with the lights. Mm. Without thinking, Faye caressed the handle of her knife in her hand. She felt a chilly shiver run through her whole body, her mind filled with the collection of voices, screaming and making no sense whatsoever. What's that? Your attempt was noticed. My attempt? You're headstrong, Faye. That is part of the reason you have been chosen. You will not turn from the path on which you have found yourself. For that, you should tread cautiously. You, your first reaction is not always the best. Faye weighed the words. She thought the voice sounded familiar somehow, as if it spoke. As it spoke, she heard a strong timber mingled with deep care. Before realizing it, she felt tears running down her face. Who, who are you, she stammered. With the questions out of her mouth, Faye listened to the song shift from the light underlying tune to a driving chant. She recalled one of the recordings from her intro to anthropology professor played in class of a remote tribe off the coast of West Africa calling out to the sky. Time is short, the voice cried. Her head filled with the words. She closed her eyes against both the volume and force with which they were spoken. When her eyelids fluttered open, Faye saw a golden orb floating before her. She tried to figure out what created it. She guessed it was made of light and mist, but it appeared far too solid to be constructed of anything more of more insubstantial materials. Do you accept this? The voice asked. What is it? Do you accept this? You didn't answer my questions, Faye shot back. She thought the light and mist faded ever so slightly at the speaking of her repeated questions by the strange voices. Do you accept this? At this offer, Faye noticed how much lighter the glow had become. She released a long sigh. Her body shook with something that was not exactly frustration, but neither was it offering full acceptance. She reached out with her hand and tried to pluck a bit of the light from the from midair. The orb disassembled like a soap bubble being popped. Its constituent elements took on several odd familiar shapes before falling into Faye's palm like a layer of golden frost. She felt an odd chilling warmth race through her body. She tried to speak and ask questions, but her throat closed up as though something far too large had swollen up to block the passageway. Her eyes stretched wider with panic. Breathe. The tuneless voice sang the word at a register just below that of the voice who spoke. It sounded more comforting than command. Faye attempted to relax and take an easy breath. She still found her throat blocked. 
She considered what it would look like for someone to find her in the woods behind her house. She wondered who it would be. They guessed one of her roommates would be the lucky one to find her asphyxiated body. She could hear her drinking being blamed, leading to her becoming lost in the woods. When the strange force blocking her throat gave way, suddenly Faye took a huge gasping breath. Her vision snapped back into focus. Faye bent at the waist, sucking in the chilly night air. She felt reinvigorated by being able to breathe again. You better not fucking do that again, she said between ragged breaths. Not funny. You need to be ready. The calm voice seemed to not notice Faye's inherent threat. You're in danger, but you are just you. I know I'm in danger. Whoever you are just tried to kill me. You can hear me, right? She heard the singing rise in pitch, caused her heart to flutter in time to the vocalizations. They looked into the clearing. She did not understand where the sound emanated from, since she saw nothing she expected. Occasionally, Faye noted indistinct figures gliding as though they were made of denser mist. I'm coming in, she said forcefully. You can talk about this threat to me face to face. I've dealt with this sort of thing before, and I can do it again. She made a move to step into the clearing and found her way blocked. She saw no direct barrier to her efforts, but she remained outside the clearing all the same. What are you doing? This is not the time or the place. You have what you need, and you have been forewarned. Yeah. That's not going to work with me. I'm not a drop everything and go along with it kind of girl. They thought she heard the speaker or singers, or maybe both, give a low chuckle at her mention of thinking this might not be the case. She blazed bright with fury. What, she snapped. What's so funny? You are known. More than you realize, you are known. What does that mean? You know enough, now rest. They frowned at the nature of the answer. With the scent of pine in her nostrils and the song in her ears, they plunged into complete darkness. With whatever they slipped me, they muttered, this is without a doubt the worst trip I've ever been on. And that's the end of the, that's the end of the first chapter. Yay. So. Uh, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. It's so, I mean, I don't know who could read to the end of that and not want to go back for more. I mean, it's so, so compelling. Well, thank you. And then we're dropped down into, well, I don't want to give spoilers, but just a little one. We're just dropped down into some reality. We have this like touch with the metaphysical world. And then we're just dropped down into day-to-day life and human interactions in reality for, for a little while, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because one of the things yeah. I wanted to do, um, like, and, and we can we can mention it. The, the next chapter opens with her waking up in her bed, and right, she's right back in her bed, right, and right back in life as normal. And that's, you mm-hmm. know, if you think about if you think about the way we interact with each other and with the world, a lot of times that's that's one of the things we tend to do is like in in the face of something overwhelming or unusual or whatever we we do tend to seek go back to seek those familiar things and so uh that was one of the things i wanted to to kind of you know to be one of the touch points of the book is like hey yeah she's had this kind of this kind of experience but you know it's it's not it's not affecting her day-to-day life like you would imagine it would right there's still a garden to be planted in the yard and Mm -hmm. there's 
Ike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All manner of things. And I, I love how we immediately, upon meeting Faye, get to know that she's something of a badass. Yeah. She's she's way tougher than I am. Uh, and and I, that, I think I like that. That's That's fun. That's fun for me because she is... She says and behaves in ways that, um, and she doesn't even like. The, I think the thing I like about her is that she she is rough because she because she needs to be and is not concerned about how that comes across. And I think that that's it's very brave for her, especially as a young woman finding her way. I think you know it it, it speaks. Uh, a great deal to a lot of different things, but um, then seeing how she is with her roommates, you know, that, that is another aspect of her. And I think uh, in that we are all multitudes. And I think that's, um, I think that's the fun part of, of Faye. Yeah. I love it. And, and there's, there's a sweetness to her too. Like when she meets Anya, um, and you see sweetness before them, but especially when she meets Anya, she seems so just, glad to be embraced by that woman Mm -hmm. yeah i think we all look and maybe this is maybe this is just me but i look for overlap and i look for areas of communication and i look for areas where people know more than i do or or like maybe like the same thing but have experienced it differently and and i think that's one of the things that uh like when faye and anya connect there is there is that deep passion that they share, but by the same token, they are coming at it from from completely different places and experiences, and and they can they can revel and enjoy that, which is fun. Yeah, I love that. And we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back. Now I had a very old friend, writer. Elizabeth Radis, who who said that the truth is like a diamond and you can enter it from a facet on any side, but you'll end up meeting in the middle. Yes. I think that's very sad. Which is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's no longer with us, but she's, she was a clever lady. She was quite old when she shared that with me. So unburied people be excited you need it. Now, you submitted a bitter taste, and I was happy to publish it in the Mugwort issue of Meat for Tea, and I've published you previously. Yes. And I'm a bad podcast host. I neglected to do my research and look up which issue that piece was in. Um, yeah, it was in Volume 9, Issue 3. Nice. And it was Play. Yeah. Which issue was that besides Volume Nine, Issue Three? It was what was the theme? Uh, I do. I am not sure what the theme was. I didn't. I oh, well. didn't keep a copy. I of, can look it up. Yes, you do have a copy of it, right? Oh, of course, I do. I have multiple copies because I am. I am one of oh. those writers. I do <laughs> not. Uh, I, I, I. First of all, the fact that you produce a physical, like a physical. Uh, it's like obviously you've got the PDF, but you you produce a physical uh, magazine, uh, you know, review. Yes, that I, I cannot tell you the you know as a writer that is like 
uh, catnip for me. That to have something that's got <laughs> you know that is bound and has my work in it. That is yeah. So yes, I I definitely have copies. I um I I have them. You know, uh, they're. I'm redoing my office, so uh, they're not they're uh-huh. not up. But um, but yeah, I've I've definitely got a couple of copies of that one. Well, the main reason I asked that was um, meat for tea shipping department consists of um, me, <laughs> <laughs> so I was just wanting to make sure it was through no oversight of my oh. own. If you didn't have it, no. No, yeah, no, you because we have a we have a tiny, <laughs> tiny staff. I very, understand. Very small. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, I just well, and and you know this because because of the the recent the recent one too. I I don't just like obviously you, I appreciate the the copy that you guys provide, but like I'm I I want more. Like so, I I want to make sure I have you know archive copies for myself and then my family and, and stuff like that. So yeah, you guys are, you guys do great. Yeah. I mean, hats off to the fulfillment department because my fulfillment department is the exact same, is the exact same way. So I understand. (laughs) Fulfillment. Yeah. From my fulfillment department, we often say, please bear with us. This is a mountain of work and we are not Amazon. Exactly. (laughs) This takes a moment. (laughs) Or more. I've actually had people like order physical issues, then two days later, email saying, uh, I've not received it yet. I'm like, well, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure you have not. <laughs> I'm trying to go to the I I'm am not magical. Once. <laughs> I've tried to go to the post office a single time this week, not five times. So. I think Amazon has given people to have strange expectations. Yes. I I would agree. Like for all the for all the good of of Amazon, let's face it, you can get the world uh, in two days. It it does like my expectations. Uh, I, I've even found on my part my expectations, unless I'm managing them well, uh, I, I do tend to to expect things to come to be a lot quicker than they do. Right? Where is it? I ordered it five minutes ago. I must have it. it. Should be here. I never even knew it existed, but I must have it. Immediately. Well, speaking of Amazon and alternatives too, is Unburied available at um, independent bookstores or bookshop.org? Yes. Um, I, I, I believe I'm if so you, happy to hear that. Yeah. I believe if you go to IndieBound, you should be able to, um, to order it from your local uh, independent bookstore, you know, they would nice. just need to, we're, atmosphere is fantastic. You know, I've, I've got uh, ISBN number, of, you know, I'm with Ingram. Uh, so, so they can, they can definitely get a copy. You just have to, you can uh, give them my, my name and unburied and the publisher and, and that should, that should do it. You know, any, any of those should be able to take care of it, but yeah. That's great. Yeah, because I like to encourage Meat for Tea's listeners to support their local independent bookstores. Definitely. Because Jeff Bezos probably doesn't need to build any more silly-shaped rocket ships, and we don't need to help him in that endeavor. <laughs> yes, I would agree. <laughs> right. He seems to have plenty of money so and bookshop.org if you i don't know how um 
I should look into how you'd get your book on there because I've got a chapbook of an author that we published from Me Fatigue Press coming out soon. I'd like it to be there too because they um they ship pretty rapidly, but they give a percentage of their proceeds to independent bookstores. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah, I like to support those guys. So, do you want to give us some play? I would. I would love to. Um, I would love that, or a taste, or a bitter taste. <laughs> well, I tell you what. What we're going to do is, since a bitter taste is in the new meat, issue, meat for tea, we're going to. Yeah. We're gonna, yeah we're, what we're going to do is, I'll be honest with you. I would love to come back and read that after people have gotten a chance to. Get the get the issue and read it for themselves. Oh, cool thought! Cool that thought. Way, that I like way, that. That way, we're encouraged. I mean, now, granted, I, don't get me wrong. Love the love the piece. Uh, would love to read it, but by the same token, I'm I, I, like, let's 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 get a couple more. Let's let's get that uh, fulfillment center uh, popping out a couple more issues so that so that uh, we can, <laughs> we can we can so more people can get their eyes on on the stories in there. But since um, since play was uh, issued, uh, was was done several several volumes ago. Let's um, several years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's read let's read this one, and and I will I will let everyone know. I, I guess they if they they probably have gathered uh, almost an hour in that um, my my uh, bent is a little bit more a little bit more magical, a little bit more. Um, you know that sort of that sort of vibe. So um, uh, I like it. One of the things I I love is is taking something and making it um, making it a little a little different, a little kind of um, like fuzzy and and how things uh, operate. So this is pl- I love that. So I started doing it by chance. It made everything so much more fun. I know you thought about it too. As you played with your G.I. Joes, My Little Pony, or Transformers, you thought about them coming to life. We all thought about it. The movies and playthings moving on their own, uh, their own, and exhibiting personalities unique and individual as real people didn't help matters. So when I managed to drop down into them, I shuddered with excitement. It was like opening a door and finding a bouncy house room. To be on their level, to drop into their worlds, it will almost burst my five-year-old mind. I would drop into a playset my grandma bought me for Christmas the year before, after meticulously establishing the scene with the good guys crowding at the door and the bad guys lounging at a table, chewing over their next big score. I tried crying myself to sleep the first time inside a Hot Wheels garage. The garage itself saw better days before falling into my possession for my brother Jerome. I climbed the wide spaced open windows along the side of the elevator until I stood high atop the tower screaming for anyone who might hear my squeaking. No one did. No one came to my room. No one wondered what activity filled my time and belly. In the pale light of the crescent moon, I curled up on top of the elevator shaft and waited for sleep. I blinked 
and the light transposed with the dark so rapidly, the sensation of being in a stop-action movie overwhelmed me. I saw myself rise from the garage and walk toward my bed, growing with each step. I woke the next morning with a start, under my covers and in my pajamas. The Matchbox garage remained in the middle of my floor. The red sports car with its shiny metallic paint glinting in the morning sunlight winked at me from the top floor. I slipped from my bed. I got a box from my bed, loaded it up with the structure and cars, and slid it back under my bed, the flaps wedged in place by the box spring. The fear of that first occurrence kept me from the garage. But I fell into other play sets, other toys. I grew less afraid with each passing journey. Panic dissipated until I played unconcerned. I moved action figures into fighting stances and carried out mock battles on their level. The fear returned the day the dark fist action figure struck back. His action grip shot up and grabbed Mr. Mighty's long arm of justice for my control, hurling the plastic figure across the playset. Dark Fist stalked towards me. You will be defeated, Manipulator. He growled out of a solid plastic mouth. What? You will be duh. The advancing figure stopped as quickly as it started. I approached the still figure, staring into its flat eyes. I took a finger and pushed against it. It toppled with a loud clatter. I looked around the playset. But nothing seemed out of place. The dark fist action figure went into the box under my bed and stayed there. I returned home from college and received a mandate from my mother to clean out and straighten my old bedroom. Some discussion about transforming it into a guest room occurred. Pulling the box forth, I received a face full of dust for my trouble. It remained taped with the label reading, darkness inside, keep closed. The adhesive, after years of dust and dryness, only held one flap. The opposing flap dropped down into the box, showing a gap and of a deep shadow. I opened the box and tipped the contents on the floor. Random toys scattered over the floor, creating a mess on the green carpet. I pawed through the contents, sorting each of the different piles. Cars into one area, Plastic dinosaurs from an early period, earlier period of my youth populated a second pile. I lined the dinosaurs up uh, from smallest to largest with all the raptors in a single commune ready to attack should they get hungry. The action figures went quickly, not differentiated between genre. The space guys went in the same pile as police and firemen. As the mess dwindled, I wondered where my old nemesis, Dark Fist, hid. As the threatening figure remained unaccounted for, I pulled up the bedspread, peered under the bed. I squinted and reached my arm as far back as I could. I felt a piece of hard plastic as I rotated my arm from the shoulder. I thought I heard a faint sound of skittering in the darkness. I strained to see anything. Nothing moved or sounded again. I rose from the floor and went to the foot of the bed. I peeked under the scalloped edge of the footboard. Nothing moved within my field of vision. I thrust my hand under the bed from the new angle and deflected cry of surprise. My arm pinioned where the leg of the bed met the wall. My fingers closed and pulled the plastic free. My adult-sized hand closed over the hard plastic figure. I looked for a safe place within my room to open my hand, 
to avoid Dark Fist's malevolent influence. The window appeared to be the brightest and warmest place within the room. I approached the window. The figure felt as though it wriggled between my fingers. I clenched my hand tighter around it. The movement ceased, but the ghost tremors echoed in my palm. At the window, I opened the shade and unfurled my fingers in the sunlight. The sun beat down on the center of my hand. The light reflected back dully from the dusty toy staring back. Looking at my former plaything, a wave of foolishness washed over me. I took a step from the window. My hand drew back towards me. The action figure slipped out of my hand, grabbed my skin at my wrist, and clambered up my arm. Ah! I cried, trying to rub the little thing off me. He dodged my hand deftly, scurrying like a mouse. Dark Fist reached for my ear and yanked it. Stars swam in my vision. Internal balance tilted, landing on the floor with a thump. My skull rested on my attacker's plastic form. He wriggled under me, seeking escape. Lifting and dropping my head savagely, I attempted to immobilize Dark Fist. Is everything okay up there, my mom called. I'm fine. It's just a box of books. Do you need help? No, I'm just getting on a roll. My heart slowed as the shock of the attack retreated. I gripped Dark Fist once more. Prior to pulling my head off him, I felt him fighting me. I rose from the floor. It's not nice to lie to your mother. Better that she come up here and find you? I've kept out of her way these years. Besides, be better for her to see me rather than your dad drinking again. Dark Fist's eyes seemed to glitter with an inner light. I decided the source had to be the sunlight and not his dark character. Is, is he drinking again? The figure stayed silent. Then I realized the foolishness of pursuing this behavior with a plastic plaything. How would something spending most of their life in a box under my bed know about my father's behavior, especially over the last several months? I walked over to my desk, opened the upper right drawer. A jar of pencils resided in the corner. I flipped the jar over, scattering the pencils over the desktop with a resounding clatter. I placed the figure upright on the desk and placed the jar over the top of it. Dark Fist stared back at me from the confines of his dew glass prison. What do you know about my dad? The figure remained still. I consider repeating my question, but I turned my back on him, returning to the remaining toys. Did you truly think I would remain located in a box closed by a 10-year-old for all time? Give me some credit. Have you been roaming all over the house? Of course I have. Dark Fist's voice sounded funny, echoing off the glass walls. I didn't have to go out all the time, but I did manage to make trips down to the study for an evening cocktail now and again. How did you do that? How did you shrink down to our size when you were a little kid? The question froze me in mid-rejoinder. I fought the urge to stammer. I closed my mouth, reset my features, and looked directly into the jar. I can't do that anymore. Hmm, can't. I thought I saw Dark Fist rolling the word around his mouth like a sommelier at a fine restaurant. Without moving, the figure bore into me as though he suspected the truth behind my simple statement. I swallowed back the slick, clotting spit in the back of my throat. It took an effort not to choke on it. You sure you don't mean don't? 
I haven't been able to do that since the time in my room when you came at me. Came at you? Is that what you thought I was doing? It couldn't be farther from the truth. You were the first one I was able to interact with. It had been so long I had forgotten how to move, how to be with someone else. My heart beat loudly in my ears. My blood rose to my cheeks. I felt embarrassed by my lack of knowledge and shame. I rejected someone who reached out to me or tried to reach out to me, and I didn't know it. What if I could do it again? That would be wonderful, Dark Fist purred. I looked around the room. The open door concerned me, so I closed it. Returning to the desk, I studied the figure for any signs of duplicity. I saw no outward appearance of wrongness, but the coiling sensation in my belly allayed none of my concerns. You want to be friends more than you can truly imagine. I licked my lips. My hands closed around the figure and put him back on the floor. My eyes closed. I probed for the elusive slippery switch I tripped as a child. My mind brushed the spot. The switch turned like the lowering of a volume of a car stereo. My body contracted down to a fraction of its normal size. I opened my eyes, excitement rushing from my heart into my limbs. I looked for Dark Fist. I saw no sign of the dark shrouded man. Dark Fist, where are you? The blow came to the back of my head without warning. I dropped to one knee, looked up to see Dark Fist towering over me. His arms rose with a plastic battle axe from the Sir Gawain figure. It struck a second time, causing the world to swim away from me. When I awoke, my head felt fuzzy and my body stiff. My vision swam in and out of focus. I saw my cracked ceiling with the wider patches where I removed my glow-in-the-dark stars right before leaving for college. I tried to relieve the pressure of something poking into my back. Either strength or leverage remained in short supply to ease the discomfort. I pushed my arm backwards, both moved in unison. I shifted on what looked like an oversized tangle of action figure limbs, torsos, and heads. The sound of the door drew my attention. My neck felt stiff, as though my head weighed 700 pounds and resided on a toothpick. I found the effort shifting my head and body exhausting. I saw the source of the noise. I gasped in confusion. My grinning face leered at me and took a drink from a cola-filled tumbler. I reeled from wonder. You awake? I recognized my voice, but the cadence sounded slightly smoother, more confident. I tried to speak, but only clicks and scrapes issued forth. I'm sure you are. I could poke and prod you, but we'll just make this simple. My huge free hand without the drink swooped down to encircle me. I felt the tight grip ensnare me. We moved to the mirror inside my closet door. In the reflection, I saw the big version of me holding the dark fist action figure. We traded. Now you'll get a turn. Without another word, he returned to the pile of action figures. He scooped us all up, throwing both handfuls into a box he filled with other scary toys. He closed the box. I shifted within it as he carried us out the room and down the stairs. 
I fought for any solution to my entrapment. I heard a faint squeak of the door to the garage. Hey, mom, the spoon voice called. You still going to the charity drive today? Have you got something to donate? Yeah, I figured some kids might like these since they were such close companions for me. I tried calling for my mom from the box as it shifted. She needed to know I was her son and I was in the box. We landed with a thud and shifted within the box. Darkness followed with nothing but quiet. (laughs) Amazing again. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so astonishing when the action turns. It's so good. And you really do not see it coming. It's like, whoa, (laughs) everything just went sideways. (laughs) Well, and I think like... uh, like I said, you know, to me, the fun part of, of coming up with stories is taking things that people don't expect. Like everybody, like after Toy Story and, and everything came out was like, you know, they did have quote unquote villains and, and toys that were a little bit darker. But like the first initial mm-hmm. ones were basically them against the world and them trying to to, to I was like going, yeah, what it what what would it look like if basically the villain of the series just switched places with the with the protagonist? And so that was uh, that was a lot of yeah, that was a lot of fun. So good. There's a very early issue of Meat for Tea. It's not even in our usual formats before we'd settled on that. And there's a story in there by Bradley Sands where he discovers a trove of plastic army soldiers hidden in a bedroom wall. Oh, wow. And then the discovery is that that they they, um, are animate. And, um, yeah, I'll have to find out, and I'll put in the reader's notes, and I'll let you know which one that is. It's probably hard to source, mm-hmm. but um, because these are the very, very early issue, issues, but um, it, I think it has some of the the ingredients that you enjoy and the play with what's real and what's not real and the whole just, you know, what if mm-hmm. happening in there. Wow, that was wonderful. I, I'd forgotten... I remember when that story first came through, the submissions, I was like, okay, well, this one's going in. <laughs> Such a rollicking good time. So I'm curious. Um, sure. And, and, you know, basically, I've, I've been on this side. You know, I've, I've been a writer and a reader, but I've never been an editor or a publisher before. And I'm curious about, for you, what are the things that electrify you and excite you? And also, what are the things that you find the most challenging about your role as the, you know, creative voice for um, Meat for Tea? Yeah. And I, I find that that's kind of ineffable. Um, it's it's what I like. It's, and I try to stay true to, is this something I would 
take and curl up on the couch with and read just happily. Mm-hmm. And that's idiosyncratic. But I, I like to be captivated. I like to be transported a little bit. And I, I don't have to be transported into anything magical or another realm, but just plopped down into another another version of reality or even just my perceptions are made to shift a little bit. Mm-hmm. I like being intellectually challenged and I like being entertained. And I have the luxury of picking exactly what I like. And if anyone wonders, that, that's all meat for tea is, is... It's grown now, but it's close to 140 pages per issue. It's 140 pages of what I want to read and what I want to look at. (laughs) Selfishly, I I decide, and I I like to keep it, I guess, um, true to that. I'm not pandering to a demographic. I'm not aiming to hit a target market. This is what I like. Well, that's, I think that's, as long as that's, as long as that's your North Star and you know that that's where you're heading and, and you know what your tastes are and that, that the thing I like about hearing that, Elizabeth, is that you allow in your taste for, you know, a range of, of things. Like you are not like, I only mm-hmm. read this or I only enjoy that or it needs to do these three things to, to engage you. I think that's, I admire you for, for knowing that that's, that's where you're headed and that you can, you can navigate that because that's, I think um, a lot of times both as an artist and as a reader, I, I tend to flit around a little bit and try to figure out, you know, am I, what is it that I like about this or what is it that I find you know, engaging about this. And, and it is an inevitable, you know, it, it is, it is challenging in that regard. And so uh, hats off to you. That's, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, what's, oh. <laughs> have there been uh, issues that have been harder to put together because of, because of needing to find things like that you, that you like, have you, have you kind of struggled to go, this isn't really on theme, but I like it. But do I need to say, you know, like how, how, how have you faced those kinds of, of uh, challenges in the past? Oh, wow. Okay. So that, that's kind of a two-part answer. Um, first of all, um, as regards themes, and I, I, I say it in my submission guidelines, they are never to be taken literally. That, that's something you should take a postmodern approach to or just put it in the back of your mind and see what whatever the word I used for a theme, whatever it makes you think of or reminds you of, mm-hmm. however loosely, they're not meant to be constraints. I just like how they have a magical unifying effect on the resulting finished issue. So that's the thing about themes and if you've been reading Meat for Tea for a few years, I don't know if you noticed, um, and since our inception it's been this way, we have been alternating meat years with tea years thematically from the oh. very beginning. Oh, check that out. You huh? know, 
The very first issue was Gristle. Oh, Elizabeth. Hmm. Like, I think I understood that subconsciously. I think I probably, like, the subconscious part of my mind probably picked up on that without, like, without fully, God, that is, all right. That's awesome. We're silly like that. I love that. <laughs> Hence, mugwort mm-hmm. for the current issue, because we are in a tea year. And, you know, the year, the theme was kid. Well, I was actually referring to cooked baby goat. <laughs> I have an Italian cookbook, actually, that has a kid chapter, which <laughs> we open up to. It feels a little grim. <laughs> But yeah, so there's that. Now, um, I, I've, as time has gone on, I get to luxuriate in so many good submissions and so much really good stuff that lately, and knock on wood, it continues to be the case, lately... I'm just sad that I don't have room to fit all the beautiful stuff that comes in, but I can't afford to print a $200 tome every three months. Mm -hmm. But um, I've gotten, there's kind of just a lot of authors that are repeat submitters and their work is always good and you know, there's still some pieces, there's a fair number of pieces I have to reject for this or that reason. Um, I will publish a wide range of things and I'm not prudish and I like a range of genres. But that being said, I'm not a pornographer. So, and I've got some pieces that, and I'm I'm not like prudish about porn, but that just that's not what I'm publishing. Right. I'm good with it. It it should be out there, but it's just not. I'm not a genre publisher yeah. necessarily. I don't publish strictly fantasy or detective mm-hmm. writing either. So and those all count as genres. And I've got some pieces where just the the graphic ways that sex can happen are just, well, I'd have to be a pornographer. And that's just, again, you know, more power to them. I'm, I'm fine. That can be out there. Just that's not what Meat for Tea does. Mm-hmm. So I've had to reject those. And I'm also, I don't edit. I am the editor in that I read and decide, but I learned early on not to correct or tamper with people's writing because I had a poet get very injured when I decided that her poem was a lot stronger without the final stanza, which I still believe. Mm -hmm. But she got very loudly and publicly and Mm. annoyingly injured. Um, (laughs) So I just decided then and there, I'm like, clean copy only. Yeah. And... If I like it, it's in, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess with it. Right. And I also don't give I had someone ask me, I, I was speaking on an editor's panel a few years ago, and they're like, Well, if you reject a piece, do you give the author advice on what they could do with their writing to make it something you would accept? And the answer is 
No, that's called writing instruction. If you would like to pay me mm-hmm. for private writing instruction, I am qualified to do that. I was an English professor for a number of years, but um, no, I do not give free writing instruction because I decline your piece. So, right. well, and and also, the, does that answer your question? Yeah, <laughs> but the but the weird thing, like, and listen, I as a writer, I understand there is a part of us that wants to that wants to grasp what it is about the piece that could be that could be improved. But the thing I also have to accept is that any 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 recommendation that any editor gives about a piece that is submitted to them that is, you know, that is that like that is that editor's opinion. I have to go through the same type of thing with my with mm-hmm. my alpha and beta readers is because like some of my beta readers will read something and go, yeah, this is I I just don't like this and that and the other thing. And it's like, okay, well, I could I could make a bunch of corrections that would then make it right for, you know, this person. But then that mm-hmm. that either that either is not the story I'm looking to tell, or that, you know, hamstrings what's going on. So I I, you know, you know, once again, you don't need my uh you don't need me to, to tell you a great job on that, but I do think that that's, that shows a great deal of wisdom on your part, not only from the sense standpoint of like, hey, if you want me to help you become a better writer, I can, I can do that. I can, I can help teach you that. But also the, the understanding that, hey, you know, this is your art and this is what you presented. You need to kind of figure out what will work and, and maybe this is just not the place for you for this piece. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's and that's that's hard. For, I'll be honest with you, as a writer, that is hard for us to accept sometimes. <laughs> like we want we want everybody to love every <laughs> single thing that we put down on paper, and and we want of everybody course. to embrace it. And that's that's just not that's just not realistic. So no, and I I've, I actually read a novel which I love very much by an author who's um, got a book coming out. Soon, a memoir where actually Gino Diaz gave her a very favorable blurb, but this is a, a a fictional novel, and I was reading her alpha beta reader copy, and I was seeing notes from the other readers, and I immediately messaged her, I'm like, ignore them. Ignore all of them. Please stick with what you're doing. This is good. They are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad you did that because I think so few, so few readers, you know, encourage that, encourage what's going on. They they feel like mo- some readers feel like, oh, it's not really a review or it's not really feedback unless I'm unless I'm pointing out the things that I that I dislike and not the thing, you know, and not and not saying that you know you can't voice those things, but yeah, I. I that's that's incredible, Elizabeth. I'm I'm very impressed that mm-hmm. you did that uh, for because you protected that writer in a way that um, very few people would would realize that that's what you were doing. Ah, well, thanks. I think it's a fool that thinks there's anything objective about what we're all doing here. Mm-hmm. This is this is a game of taste and preferences. And it's highly individuated and located 
And that's just what it is. Mm. And that's what it that's what it is to pick up any piece of matter that you're going to read or to order a dish in a restaurant for that matter. Mm. It's it's not objective. It's just a fool's errand to try and pretend there's objectivity involved here. So I guess I'll swear that on my sleeve. I like what I like. I publish what I like. If other people like it too and like to read it, great. I'm glad. And it looks like they do. Yeah. But um, yeah, being true to yourself. I don't know. There's, there's something about that I like in this era when there's so much just um, market driven, you know, produce what's, what's, going to appeal to a particular market. All that just feels really slimy to me. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that answered your questions at all. It, oh, it did. No, it it's did. very like. It did. You, good, good. I, I, well, and, and one of the things I, I, there is, you have experiences that I don't have. So I am, I, that's what makes me, uh, that's what makes this conversation fun for me is that you've done and experienced things that, you know, either I haven't yet or will may, I may not get to or whatever. And so to, to hear that from you is, is a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much for letting me ask uh, questions of you in that regard. Oh, I liked that. I, I, I think it's fun. because I, I, I liked how you flip the table a little bit. <laughs> well, and I'm sure like, I think that was. I'm sure your your listeners want to know this sort of stuff too. Like they they mm-hmm. care about you are um, you are very much the the um, meat for tea is a publication, but you are you know you are the representation of that. That is the banner that you wear, and so the, of course people want to know. Hey, what? What is this like for Elizabeth? Why? Why is you know? Why is she so passionate about it? What is what moves her? And because that's and I just say that only because it interests me. I'm sure there are a couple, there are several more people that would are interested in that way too. But it, that's I I want to know for myself. So that's why I asked the question. <laughs> I'm glad you did. I am wondering if we should start thinking about wrapping this up. Probably so. And I. Like you knew and came into knowing, I don't conduct an interview. I have a conversation punctuated by readings. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that you asked me some questions. That that was a, a wonderful twist. But all that being said, at the very end of the conversation, I ask of my guests three questions, the same three questions of every guest. So, the first question is, what are you reading these days? Well, as with, as with many people, I, am, I currently have, I have at least three books that I am currently engaged with, and I engage with them in, in different ways mm. and at different times. I get that. I um, am currently reading a... I've got a book of poetry by the by the publisher of Atmosphere Press. It's called The Forgotten World, and uh, it's by Nick Cortwright. And it's a collection. It's a collection of his 
poems. Uh, it's his third collection. And what he does is he goes throughout the world and, and kind of via his, his poetry, he kind of talks about different regions of the world and how, how it is to interact and impact with those, with those areas. Uh, and it's born out of his travels. So, um, once again, he's my publisher, but I would recommend it even if he wasn't my publisher. What's the title? It's called The Forgotten World. Right. Okay. I want to make sure to put that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I think I need to add that to my library. Yes. It's really... It sounds really, really good. Yeah. I, what I tend to do is like in the mornings, I will take a little bit of... I'll take some time to myself where before my day jumps in. And one of the things I'll do is I will kind of spend you know, a few days or, or a little bit longer in a poem because it kind of, it's, um, it settles me and it's, and it's really, you know, it's, it's great in that way. So highly recommend that. I am listening to um, an audio book. Uh, it is the second in the um, Patrick Rothless series called Wise Man's Fear. It is, I, I did not, read it when it came out. So I've, I've been listening to it and I've been enjoying it. And then, uh, by my bedside table, I have got a, um, I've got a star Wars book because as anybody who listened, who listened to dark fist knows, uh, I, you know, I, I clearly have a, a bit (laughs) of a, bit of a thing for, uh, dark, uh, space villains. So I am reading. Uh, yeah, a- I heard some Darth Vader happening exactly. there. <laughs> yes, could not could not resist. So yeah, I've got uh, I've got one of the Star Wars novels uh, that I that I read uh, as as I get ready to Fun. go to sleep at night. So yeah, it's like I said, it's a little bit of everything, uh, different different ways to interact with with the media. But yeah, those are the those are the three that I'm reading right now. I like that. I like that. I'm not a snob. I I, 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 um, I think a Star Wars novel, I mean, I, I relax after I publish an issue of Meat for Tea with the new seasons of Real Housewives mm-hmm. of whichever city. So I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not snobby about where we get our pleasure. Right. Well, I think pleasure is okay. And the idea of there being a guilty pleasure, I think that's, that's way more judgment than a lot of things that a lot of things require. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. There's no, I couldn't agree more strongly. Yeah. The people at Bravo actually who produce all the Real Housewives have coined the phrase that it's not a guilty pleasure, it's self-care. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is very good on their part. That is that is very sound. Yeah. Someone got paid some money to come up with that. <laughs> so moving on, what are you listening to these days? What's on your if you have a turntable? We do. We we're we're vinyl collectors. We've got like two thousand albums in the living room. Yeah. We have some old, we have some old albums. We don't, we don't listen to them. We've got a, we've got a turntable. We do not listen to it nearly enough. I, I have mm, been. No, no guilt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will be honest with you. I have a couple of uh, playlists. I, um, I, I've been upping my um, genre music. I have, my daughter is, 
she is not into this music, but like some of her friends were, they introduced me to K-pop and I, I listen. Oh, cool. I listen fun. To, yeah, it is. It is so much fun for me because, you know, I've got obviously got some some music from when I was younger that I that I obviously listened to. You know, some pop some popular music like like the Foo Fighters and stuff like that. But but what I like about K-pop is that it is musically very complex, and I don't have to concentrate so much on the lyrics. Like I, I'm 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 much more a lyric guy than a music guy per se like the music to me supports the lyrics but like i would get lost mm. in the lyrics of something so like whereas when i listen to k-pop i recognize some of the stuff but some of the stuff i don't recognize and that's okay and i enjoy it it is clear that they are all the artists that do that are are really really good and uh you know, my, my daughter also plays uh, some Vocaloid rhythm games and stuff like that. So we we bonded over that. I, I you know, I've listened to I've listened to some of the Vocaloid characters that you know they're they're singing, but they are not singing anything that is recognizable. So I've got I've got a playlist for that, and then I've got I've got some just just movie soundtracks and um, and uh, some classical music that I, that I listen to too. Wonderful. Do you have a favorite classical composer? Or a handful of them? Uh, I would say that depending on my mood, I like, I mean, I, I grew up in a house where my mom had um, hooked on Bach and, uh, mm. you know, a couple of albums like that. So I like, I tend to lean towards like a Bach and a Beethoven. Nice. Partially because they're, partially because they're recognizable and they are a little nostalgic for me because I can, I can kind of, uh, it puts me in a place where I feel, you know, where it, it takes me back in time a little bit, but mm -hmm. you know, I, 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 there, there is nothing wrong with, um, uh, you know, with a wide, with a wide range. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say Bach and Beethoven are probably my two, my two favorites. Cool. If you like jazz, I would look for the Jacques Lussier trio and his albums play Bach and he's got he's got Playbach one and Playbach two and a couple others, but he takes Bach and translates it so beautifully into jazz. And Jacques Lussier was like a virtuoso pianist. It's mm -hmm. piano, bass, and snare, and it's just so gorgeous you can't even believe. Thank you so much for sharing that. I will definitely. I will definitely search that I'll, out. I'll, I'll email it to you too, but it, it's amazing. Get your hands. At, I don't think it's that easily found, but I don't mm -hmm. think it's that difficult to find either. I think it's just kind of, you got to hunt them out. But Jacques Lucier trio, what they do with the two part inventions mm -hmm. and they've got an album where they do the Brandenburg concertos oh. and it starts off. You think you're just hearing the classical pieces but then there's the breakdown where they bust oh. out into jazz. It's so cool. Oh, Elizabeth, that, ex that is exciting. You will be thrilled. Oh. <laughs> I thought you might find it so. I thought you might. <laughs> for, for a Bach head, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a good little um, sideways step. Oh. I'll email it to you. 
Um, next, I, I move in order of kind of highbrow to lower, uh-huh. I guess, although I don't know that I believe in those distinctions so heavily. What are you watching these days? So, uh, shock of shocks, uh, we are watching uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It, oh, yeah, it yeah. wraps up tonight, so we're gonna probably going to watch it later this week. We are we cut the cord and I pretty much stopped watching like I I, I watch a, a little bit of genre television. We watch we watch some sports um, and we watch we watch things like um, Miss Miss Marvel on on Disney Plus, but uh, you know, Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. There is a I watch a good bit of stuff online. There's a streaming. It's not a show, but it's 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 based on Twitch, but also has a YouTube element, and um, it's called Critical Role, and they do live play of Dungeons and Dragons, and um, as oh fun yes, and and they just completed an arc. They completed a four-episode arc with some people from another live play pod, uh, live play D and D game, and it it moved me to tears. Like, because there is something about that as a storytelling mode where everybody is participating. That's so cool. That is mm-hmm. really really beautiful. So those are those are the things that I that I am that we're watching. And you know, it's a little like much like with you know with everything else, it's a little it's a little all over the place. But it is, uh, but I like yeah, that. Yeah, I can appreciate eclectic. Mm-hmm. I like it. We don't have cable, so we're just um, yeah, Hulu, Netflix, mm-hmm. Amazon Prime, and HBO Max. Yes, right now. And I advise you to watch Russian Doll. Okay, if you haven't. I haven't because it's. It's it's fun. There's um, there's time loops. Oh, love me a time loop. <laughs> yeah, I figured you might. So I think this has been wonderful. I think we did it. Thank you so much for being on the Meat for Tea cast, Patrick. I will make sure to email you where to find Jacques. Well, just Jacques Lucier trio. You're gonna have to like source them, but okay. I think you'll. You can find them. Just amazing. Absolutely amazing. You could probably look for some YouTube. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. I, I really do. <laughs> well, I love sharing that kind of stuff. That's my bag. Well, Patrick, thanks so much. I look forward to future submissions from you. And I'm going to tell all the Meet for Tea cast listeners... You want to read Unburied, you really do. I'm almost 10 chapters in, and I'm loving it. Well, thank you very much. And I will share with you, and you can decide whether or not you want to include this. Um, you know, we can we, you can cut this out. I've already drafted the next book and um, in the series, Ooh. and um, it is Cho's book. So... Oh, I see the structure coming to light. Yes. I see what you're doing. Yes. Fun. Mm-hmm. I like that. So. Awesome. Yes, please do. I'm excited for that. All right, Patrick, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Good night. Thank you again, Elizabeth. 
All right, all right. That was great. Wasn't that fun? Yes, it was. That was delightful. Patrick's a cool guy. So we're probably going to have one more episode this season, maybe two coming up, and then we're going to take a quick season break and be back within a few weeks after that. So With season four. Dun, dun, dun. Season four. I think we're going to hit our 100th episode in season four. Yeah. I think we'll we have are. to do something special for mm. that. You'll have to stay tuned and see if we do or what we do for the 100th episode of the Meet for Cast. But for now, thank you for sticking around. And we will see you again in a couple weeks. Stay meaty. The Meat for Tea cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meat for Tea, The Valley Review. Mixed by Mark Allen Miller at Stone Lab, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Visit Meat for Tea at www.meatfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meatforteacast at gmail.com or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meatforteacast. We welcome suggestions for contents for the Meat for Tea cast. If you've attended a Meat for Tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright Meat for Tea and their respective holders. Vote for Meat for Tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth, Meat for Tea on Instagram, and on the Meat for Tea and Meat for Tea cast Facebook pages. Meat for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. <laughs>